Hello, dear patrons, we're back, continuing our chat with Douglas Lane, formerly of Zero Books and now of Diet Soap Media. So here's part two. There was something I did want to pick up what you were saying uh, just before that, which related to how quickly the left has been outflanked by events and not just. So, I mean, in, in one sense, the, 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 the post 2016 period, to some extent, um, overtook the period which uh, emerged from the 20, 2008 crisis, which was effectively anti-austerity politics from range from around 2010 until 2016. And to mm-hmm. an extent, it sort of continued in the in the left populist period. Um, but it's amazing how 2020 and the pandemic and labor shortages and supply chain disruptions and all that has completely well outflanked suggests some agency on that part. But it's just capital doing what capital does. So, uh, or it, uh, maybe the better way to put it would be superseded or overtaken somehow. Um, mm-hmm. Not just the the anti austerity left, but the kind of left populist left in, in exactly the way that you said, right? In terms of uh, you know the fight for fifteen campaign, suddenly inflation just does that, or labor shortages does that, you know, in one fell swoop, um, mm-hmm. and. I mean, yeah, this is something that we discuss in our book. It's something we discuss a bit with Adam Tooze as well. Uh, and I guess the question which I want to drive towards to kind of move on to, to kind of a, another section of, of this discussion is uh, when did the left start sucking, or, which is how I have it noted down. But now is not the, I realize not the best way to phrase it. But I guess really is the left is constantly not on the back foot as is normally understood, but maybe constantly chasing its own tail. Or maybe that's not the right metaphor either, but um, constantly behind events rather than leaving them. And mm. that's been the case for how long? Maybe that's the right w- way to phrase it. Um, because to a certain extent, there's an argument made about the new left and the 1960s that they were neoliberal avant la lettre, which is not exactly an interpretation I buy. Um, I think that there's a tendency now on the left to say, well, the 1968 was always terrible. And everything about it was terrible and it was always going to lead to neoliberalism, which ends up being just a diametrical opposite of the other mainstream left attitude of 1968 was great. It's perfect. We should repeat it. That is what left politics always necessarily looks like. And these diametrically opposed visions are, well, they're not dialectical. And I would propose a more dialectical understanding of it, looking at what the actual demands were in 68 and how they got recuperated and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is a long-winded way of saying that there was still some sense of a vanguard on the left then. Uh, whereas I think in the kind of recent decades, the left has always been kind of behind events and very, and as soon as the world starts changing a little bit more rapidly becomes overtaken by events very, very quickly as we've seen. Uh, okay. I'll, let's talk about May, 1968. Cause I, I have some thoughts about that. I I've actually written a novel about it called Billy moon. Uh, so I did research uh, around May 68 when I wrote that novel and one of the uh, ideas that, that I de- tried to develop when I was writing the book was that um, the the problem for uh, the, the students and workers in 68 was that they were conceiving of their struggle in terms of stripping away um, an oppressive civilization and getting to an authentic way of life. <clears throat> and, uh, and I don't think that you can say that that urge to develop an authentic social reality based on freedom and free participation and uh, free exchange um, 
is neoliberal, um, but it's certainly easy to see how the emphasis on um, individuality and sexuality and uh, breaking free from conformity and participation in what was a Fordist world ended up helping, ended up being part of what developed into uh, neoliberalism down the line. But, it, you know, to urge a return to conformity and a return to um, uh, participation and, uh, in, in society and uh, uh, clamping down on individual expression and different kinds of sexuality is clearly no answer to the challenge that the people of 68 brought forward. I mean, it was a worker student struggle. It was not just about cultural issues, but it was started in, in Paris uh, at Nanterre University uh, in protest of the uh, uh, university's kind of parental role, their limits on co cohabitation and co-visitation yeah. on campus. You couldn't go to a girl's dorm room after like nine or something. And that was enough to, you know, start throwing bricks about, and you know, you're 18, I understand. But um, uh, that did that was really one of the issues at the the at the beginning of, of, of May 68. And it but it developed from there. And there was um the way I think of 68 is that it was one more attempt amongst many to change society in reaction to um the growing crisis of 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 society that you know you uh you had a uh, a, a decade or two before that where social order was in disarray and young people were feeling that they didn't want to participate in a world that was insane and they didn't see much of a future for themselves even though at the time you know the, the unemployment levels by today's standards were pretty low it was higher than the norm and um the kind of jobs that people were looking forward to were pretty dreadful um and uh yeah so but I do think that was a moment where we both can look and look back and see the failure of the left, the failure of the kind of imagination that was put forward, the failure to take up um, a real political project and, and compete uh, for state power, and also um, a, a, a legitimate uh, movement for, for social and political and even economic change that, that uh, was driven by the conditions at the moment of, the, of history. Yeah, I mean, I, just as an aside, I think one of the maybe lesser noted consequences of, of Americanization today is that the understanding of 68 is a completely American one, and which necessarily means a more cultural and generational understanding of what happened rather than a political one. Um, and I think this was brought home to me watching uh, Chris Marker's excellent documentary on 68, in which is quite critical of it, especially because he uh, kind of re comes back in the early 90s and reevaluates all that's happened since then. Um, but, uh, you know, he's critical, but he does shed a contrast. And so when he goes to American kind of, uh, you know, archive footage or guests or interviewees, their, uh, th their emphasis is, is already markedly different to the French and Mexican and other people he interviews, um, that, that the emphasis on cultural and generational aspect is much stronger in the US. Um, so that's unfortunate because I think we, we you know, talking about 68, yeah, we just I'm, kind of do this, gen oh, it was generational, I I it was youth rebelling. Problem. No. 
You, you mean you, you yourself in history or what you described right now? Well, what I described right now and also my novel, you know, because uh, it's certainly an Americanized vision of, of 68. But I do I, 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 I do think that, um, well, yeah, the thing about May 68 and the, and the protests is that there was Americanized at the time. I mean, it was. Yeah. You know, there was a free speech movement which preceded it, which I think had some effect on the way students around the world were thinking. It also started at an Americanized university. Yeah. Uh, Nanterre um, was not uh, structured the way most French universities were. It was um, a very different institution. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the cultural effect of post-war America and, and really post-war developing uh, the kind of post-war economy of Europe had an effect. The media had an effect. The, the, the generational differences had an effect, but it was also very much about um, uh, immigrant labor and not like trying to limit it, but just the really poor conditions of immigrants uh, in, in, in France um, and real worker struggles and, uh, and, you know, the impact of the, the colonial war. Um, and yeah, but I, I guess what I'm referring to, I mean, there was a de- absolutely a, a material Americanization. People were, you know, already for for a while you know listening to jazz wearing jeans etc whatever then rock and roll coca-cola etc but i think it was more material americanization compared to what we see especially today with the internet which is uh much more ideological in, in terms of completely flattening the categories by which we understand right. ourselves and that's that's a that's a whole different level but i, I don't want to i didn't want to discuss that specifically i, I did want to actually you know you mentioned the free speech movement i think is interesting because that's one thing which is definitely lost in relation to the 1960s, which is the category of freedom, is just absent, more or less, from the left. Um, right. Because it was completely recuperated by, uh, by, by capital, by the selling of freedom in a much more limited, uh, individualist, atomized way in terms of consumer sovereignty. And, uh, and, and then that also meant the right, in large part, abandoning its defensive order in favor of selling a dream of freedom. Uh, and the left, as a consequence, just went, yeah, freedom is not about us. We're about equality. You know, we're about equality in the state against freedom in the market. Um, and that's been the kind of polarization, which I think is still operative on the left, more or less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, the left should be embracing freedom. The, certainly the socialist left should be, because without freedom for workers, there's never going to be a, a, the kind of radical transformation of uh, the economy that will lead to a different kind of society. You, We are the ones who really want freedom. We want you know, like the Silicon Valley guys are all cucks in comparison to the Marxists. You know, we, we want to <laughs> <laughs> we want the true transformation of society technologically and otherwise. And by that, you mean Grimes reading the Communist Manifesto uh, while she's yeah, married we, to look, uh, exactly. Elon Musk. Grimes literally has been I mean, Elon Musk has literally been cucked by Marx. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing. Um, I'm sorry to even bring that up. Uh, it's beneath I, us. I didn't it's mean to. Us. You brought it up. I did. No, I did. I did. I, I accept full responsibility. <laughs> but but and then I finished off the joke, and I'm just as responsible, I guess. Um, but, but but thinking about actually what I was saying just there about this, you know, the left's kind of turned to the state and its conception mm-hmm. of itself mm-hmm. as defending equality, as against freedom, often quite explicitly. Um, I'm going to kind of hazard a, a typology of of the left in today, in the, in the broadest possible sense, and in, in keeping the the 
kind of what, what, what I include in the boundaries of the left, even those who would see themselves as perhaps post-left or whatever, right? Um, and, and, you know, if you think that this typology is completely wrong or you think that my, my characterization of it is wrong, tell me I'm talking shit, right? Okay. Um, but it, it goes more or less as follows. You have, progressive, you have progressivism, which is the mainstream of the left. It's mainly liberals, like left liberals. Um, and its attitude is either tragic insofar as some of them are honest liberals who defend you know, traditional liberal values, civil liberties, and so on. Uh, and they're tragic because they, they just feel that the world is against them. Or most likely, especially the kind of younger um, progressives, are authoritarian. And authoritarian in the sense that the only, their only agency effectively is the state. And so only, they can only just appeal to the state to do things and to, for example, ensure equality. Right, so it's ever more state encroachment to areas of, of uh, social life. Um, so those are the progressives. The other, the the, the second tendency is is uh, populists who have all the rebellious energy, but effectively are opportunists because they their general approach is to uh, present a diametric opposition to whatever the progressives are doing. Um, and so sometimes that can be useful. Uh, it often can be very useful to do that, but they don't have a particularly dialectical approach to to understanding. Uh, to understanding that and often can lead them to kind of odd conservative positions because they're just merely reflexively opposing what the progressives do. Um, and then uh, finally, I guess you have Marxists, or at least those that I would accept <laughs> are Marxists. So I, I assume that I, I, I accept that that's kind of question begging using that category. Um, but people who uh, would certainly conceive themselves as orthodox Marxists or whatever, I mean, uh, who you know might be correct but they're lonely. Phil corrected me earlier and he said, no, isolated, not lonely. And I'm going to insist on lonely <laughs> because you might be right, but you have no agency, right? Um, so the populace mm -hmm. might gesture at a sort of spectral people or working class uh, or white working class, but th there's only so much um, real contact that there is there, right? Um, it's always very mm -hmm. ephemeral. It's these little moments of insurrection even, but, but which disappear and which are uh, incoherent, uncoordinated, and so on. Um, and they and the populace often abandon any intellectual leadership or, or any claim to intellectual leadership over that. And then you have the Marxists who don't, who who claim leadership, but no one's listening, and their agent, the proletariat, has disappeared from the scene. Uh, so, am I talking shit? Is that? Did you think that's no? A, I think, a fair no, I think that's accurate. I, I want I want to throw in another category, but I'm not sure if it's if I can. Um, but I just think about my kids and their friends and how they got involved in the protests after George Floyd and the kinds of organizations that they tried to form. Um, and they they consider themselves to be the radicals against the progressive Democrats at mm. the time. Right. So they, they, they were kind of contesting the streets. So who is going to lead? What were they going to what was going to be done? Where were they going to march um, <clears throat> and uh, how much disruption was going to be allowed? You know, so continuing to riot was sort of what the radicals wanted to do. Um, although my own kids, of course, are completely innocent of all charges. But um, uh, mm -hmm. and what happened to them was that uh, the, 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 my kids and their friends and the organizations that they formed was that they became, uh, well, I think they it just kind of became irrelevant, but they, they were not able to become Marxist. They wanted, they were striving after being truly radical agents of change to change the structure of society. They were aiming at going beyond capitalism and at least in their own thinking. Um, but instead they like 
would create little struggle sessions. Um, they at one point were discussing, you know, getting back to the land and buying some land together. Uh, they just went at every, they just made every single mistake that you could make. It's like they just recreated the new left in, in the 60s in like two months time that every, everything they could do wrong. Um, but the aim, their self-conception was Marxist, I think, or at least anti-capitalist. And it was not um, saying, oh, we'll use the state to create equality. They were against the state, right? But they, they were against the Democratic Party anyway. And they certainly weren't for the Republicans. So they were these American and anti-status, but they somehow just became irrelevant even to each other and lost energy. Um, and uh, but I don't think that they count as the kind of Marxist that you're you're talking about who's isolated. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the critical the one critical, you know, uh, kind of comeback to that would be, well, you know, they're just progressives actually in denial. They're, they're part of the progressive camp, but in denial. Yeah, yeah. I'd be provocative I so. here. I don't know. No, no. I mean, I'm yeah. Just... I mean, I kept. I kind of told them that. I said, "Look, you're you're going to end up electing Biden. That's what you're doing right now." Mm. <laughs> you know, and which is not like. I mean, for fuck's sake, I voted for him, so it's not like uh, I have a. I'm, that was a moral condemnation, but um, like they weren't able to get beyond that. But I don't think it's like they were to say they were in denial is to act as though they had an option open to them that they could see and chose not to do it or that their that their self-conception was paramount I, anyway what were you going to say something philip yeah i was just i was fascinated um so i just i suppose i'm curious as to why you think they kind of recreated the entire history of the american you left in miniature or even i mean you know maybe even kind of harking <laughs> back to american populism um, and I, I mean, I, you know, no, I mean, uh, I don't know how, how personal you want to get, but I'm fascinated if what you you know, what you're saying is it's your kids. Um, and so, I mean, is it like they're, well, they were my kids friends because my kids are white, so they weren't allowed into the, right. The, it was a, a POC group that right, okay. I was hearing about. Um, but they were, you know, friends with the, the, some of these people and they were trying to, you know, they were involved in the, the, the actions, um, but so they have uh, no, but they have no history. Then is that the that, is that why they recreated that history because they have no yeah, history? They, they were grabbing things like the anarchist cookbook to try to figure out how to organize. Wow, you know? yeah, yeah. You know, they were just they were just any which way they would go to try to find a, a path, and they didn't have a, a clear conception of the different categories, and most of them had been a political up until maybe that moment. Yeah. Um, so you know, they were trying it's to really become radicals overnight. But I think that's why they recreated the 60s is because they were around a university as well, where that had been uh, in charge of the uh, how yes, the yes. left was conceived for, you know, 30, 40 years. So that they that is what they understood of the left already. They didn't uh, they didn't turn back to 1917 or yeah. uh, or, or think through, you know, uh, the revolutionary moment of 1848 or or conceive of the difference between bourgeois politics and feudalism or any of that kind of yeah. stuff yeah, yeah. they were they were they were thinking about uh the, the starting with the sds really yeah um, so that so that's campus culture and then i guess that is the genuine influence of the academic left right but it's on these these kids weren't all students they were just living in a college town yeah. And in fact, they were in opposition to some of the Democrats who were coming out of directly out of the university. You know, they didn't they didn't they wanted to break from the, the university. 
But here's the repetition again, right? That it's somehow history before 1960 is uh, a kind of a black box. And what is taken to be left politics, the default assumption is do 1968 again, effectively. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's um, what one of our, I mean, it's what one of our interviewees said in our um, generation series, the editor of uh, one of the contributors or editor of the American conservative um, she made this point about the how it's understood because 68 is held up as the apogee of radical politics um, in the university effectively and in kind of wider culture and given kind of the influence of the left insofar as it is influential in wider culture then the instinct is that well if you want if you want kind of um, authentic radical politics this is what you have to do right yeah yeah um and uh right which means you have to fail yeah yes exactly <laughs> yeah, and, yeah and, that's right yeah and and glorious kind the, of failure and the generous and the generous interpretation i'd sometimes kind of older people will be like oh let the kids make these mistakes let them learn for themselves uh these things which i think is absolutely wrong um because we have already done that over the course of a number of uh, maybe not whole generations but cohorts um, which we've been describing here, the 90s left, the 2000s left, and so on. And to, in many, in, in their various different guises, all in different ways repeat the failings of the new left over again in yeah, a I mean, historical moment, which makes it even more impossible for that politics to, the, to be realized. The reason why you know Gen Xers and, and boomers say, oh, let the kids make the same mistakes again is because they have no idea uh, how to avoid those mistakes themselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And they're unwilling um, to take responsibility for them as well, I think. Right. But the other thing is that since that time, the notion that the, the youth were the radical, like revolutionary subject kind of took hold of the left, too. So, like, uh, I was I remember being involved in the left when I was in my 20s and I was thought of as being, you know, the important young person in the room who was going to make change. And then being very disappointed as I entered into my 30s and, and then oh, even worse in my 40s, no longer being important to anyone and on the left and needing to shut up and sit down and listen to these kids who didn't know shit, <laughs> you know, they came into organizations. Um, but I mean, it's, I think an unfair burden to place on people who are trying to come of age and figure out who they are and in their teens and early twenties to tell them, yeah, you need to lead a radical revolutionary struggle for massive social change. And you need to figure it out on your own. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and but the, here, here's where the you know to, to use my typology uh, for better for worse, where the populists at least um, have a have a leg up on on that sort of general approach, and that they're willing to break with the entire history of the left. Of course, the problem is that there's also there no real engagement with it. So instead of repeating, it's just a complete dismissal and not really an engagement of with the question of, okay, where did the left go wrong? Or what were the specific contradictions of different moments of the left? Um, which, you know, I have problems with some of its, it's interpretation, more... but this is to the benefit, of the, you know, for example, of platypus sort of interpretation with trying to digest the history of the left has, has, a, has going for it, at least, I think. But I don't know. Who, I mean, I don't know who those populists are who deal with the history of the left. I mean, um... no, they don't. I mean, that's my point. Yeah. But I mean, I'd say the, at least, um, Populist, nationalist, national populists, um, 
I think they, you know, they have far, and this is, I mean, this is, you know, we're far from the only people to say this, but they have far more kind of insurrectionary um, and um, kind of rebellious energy than anybody else at the moment. And that was the thing that was kind of most striking about the um, January Capitol, January 6th Capitol Hill riot was, you know, while the left was kind of um, pulling down cultural symbols, it was the right that was actually storming um, institutions of political power but then when they you know when they kind of breached the citadel they had nothing you know nothing there was all kind of a silly a silly carnival they had nothing to do or to say when they were actually in the room i, I um, would say there that's the right repeating 68 as well but their own yes. version of not, not yeah. repeating their own 68 but repeating the left 68 but because no, it's the I'd right agree. wing and it's an even more perverted version it's the carnivalesque now migrated yeah. over to the yeah, populist you know, right no i'd agree entirely all I mean is, though, that the you know the that kind of um, the willingness to scrap existing institutions of the status quo that seems to me to be much more prevalent on the populist right than it is on the left at the moment. Look, I think that the you can't discount the amount of disruption and mayhem and willingness to be rebellion rebellious that was taking place during the riots after George Floyd. I mean, and they they did surround the White House. Trump was forced to hide in his basement. Um, it, you know, it, uh, the I, I what what I think the real taboo here is is that the similarity between the January sixth moment and the and what the left was doing the the incoherent na uh, nature of both moments is uh, you know important. But I don't I I I talk to people who are like a uh, adjacent to QAnon or at least one guy, and I I don't think that there's a rebelliousness there that's very deep yeah how do you mean um it's rebellion the the, the uh, on the on the populist right the rebelliousness is really turns quickly into a uh, desire to like retreat into your uh underground bunker and hide out with your canned goods it, you know it, it's not yeah. you know and to take vitamin d and <laughs> yeah. uh and and <laughs> and and buy the right kind of uh, testosterone supplement or something. I mean, it's 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 individualistic. Um, it's not it's not really focused on institutions, but on uh, the, and seemingly the obsessed party. obsessed with the threatened masculinity by the sounds of it. Yeah. Well. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm talking to a guy. I mean, you know, I'm sure there are uh, women who are a part of this that, that are not so focused on on synthetic testosterone or whatever but, but the point is, yeah i mean um, i i think the the scenario is a little, probably a little bit different in europe where i mean that idea of retreating to your bunker isn't isn't even a kind of a cultural trope um but right, i mean right but but just to conclude so maybe we should raise this because we haven't even talked about the pandemic really and the kind of politics oh, that's yeah, been out just, from that um partly because i'm i'm a little bit sick of it but also it's unavoidable so here we are um okay but there's there's a case where you know Phil talking about you know insurrectionary energy on on the populist right. Uh, that's a case where you know protests and riots against vaccination mandates and lockdowns, uh, whether justified or not. In whatever case, you can't be you, you can't but be taken aback by the I guess the energy and the willing to dismiss not just. Uh, the the kind of political mandates imposed from above, but even the, the the terms of knowledge that they propose, right? Which I think is is dangerous because it can lead into kind of conspiracy theory territory and so on. Um, but nevertheless, I, I'm I'm kind of of the opinion of like you shouldn't be anti-vax, but if that kind of emerges into a kind of mass uprising, I think we have to somehow 
engage with that in some way or take it seriously and not just dismiss it, that there's something going on there. I wonder more about the labor shortage and, and, and the rolling strikes that are going on uh, than I do about the mass man, uh, the, the vaccine mandate and the resistance to that. Are, are, are those things connected at all? Or um, because it's a good question. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel what, as what rolling though, strikes are you thinking of? Well, just apparently, I've been, I mean, I look, I'm not, I, I, I've been sort of out of it, but I've just heard that there's major labor shortages and that there have been strikes throughout the United States that, that sort of are underreported. And, um, and I look, I haven't researched it, so maybe I'm full of shit here, but uh, I do know that there really is a labor shortage and the unemployment rate isn't that high. And we've got an increase in, in homelessness that I, at least is visible to me. And all these things to me seem to kind of be connected. Uh, so I think a lot of people have been pushed like off the employment rolls permanently in the United States. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you have uh, a kind of lumpen population um, and then, and also somehow a willingness to maybe end up in that position uh, after the pandemic um, because people aren't coming back to work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's something we discussed and, a couple of episodes ago about whether people are, are just effectively dropping out of the labor market entirely. Right. And so, so that's a very strange phenomenon. I don't really quite understand it. I mean, I, I, I definitely feel as though when you're talking about the left are the left's embrace of uh, the, the power of the state right now is misguided. Specifically now, I mean that the the, the, there's got to be a way to uh, reach out to the the, the, just to to recognizing yourself and other people the need for social freedom and to Mm. to get beyond to to demand some way out of a perpetual state of social distancing and crisis. I mean, uh, absolutely. uh, You know, I, I know know what the technological fix will be. The vaccines haven't quite done the trick yet. Um, but, uh, you know, to, to look at workers who are resisting the, I mean, I, I think the perverse thing is that the resistance to the vaccine is a manifestation of a resistance to social distancing and lockdown and perpetual crisis of COVID. And that in, in a lot of people, it's like a weird psychological reaction. Um, yeah, like the, I think I think yeah. that's probably right. Yeah. Um, um, and <clears throat> so that's that's somewhat the fault of the state in the way that the the vaccine yeah. rollout was handled, and not making it clear that the, the whole point of the vaccine is to let people have social freedom and to let them have a, a social life again. Um, and the, the the trepidation around, uh, you know, the transmissibility of of the COVID amongst vaccine, you know, the vaxxed is, uh, was really misguided. Um, yeah, but so I definitely think that, that the left needs to get its shit together as in terms of how to think about the, the post-pandemic world and, and not fall in line with, the, you know, the Build Back Better Biden administration or what, what have you. But that doesn't mean that we should, like, become anti-vaxxers. It just means, you know, we got to think through how to relate to this moment better and insisting upon the right to organize and be, uh, come together collectively. And uh, especially, you know, as the homelessness 
crisis worsens and people are suffering from lack of employment and maybe permanent lack of employment, um, it's got to be top of the list. And I'm going to be talking to Richard Wolf in the next couple of weeks about his stance on the vaccine mandate. And he's taken the position that he's against it, um, which has made him unpopular uh, or semi-canceled. But uh, I think that it's at least worth discussing as to why people might oppose it. Okay, very good. Uh, I think we'll leave that here. It's been great to chat to you, Doug. And you're going to have to tell yeah. us once again, no. tell the people where to where to go and where to subscribe for their well, things. Well, after my next you know, cancellation of, because of the comments I just made about the vaccine, <laughs> <laughs> you can find me uh, at uh, YouTube, uh, uh, Doug Lane on YouTube, uh, D-O-U-G-L-A-I-N. You can go to my Patreon, that's Diet Soap, that's D-I-E-T-S-O-A-P, Diet Soap on Patreon. Um, I'm on Facebook. Look me up. Uh, I have a Twitter account. It's just my name. Um, but there'll be more to come and, and more things that we'll be doing. There's a podcast at dietsoap.podomatic.com. I'm going to find another platform for it as well. And uh, yeah, I'm out there. I'm, I'm going to be making the rounds. Brand Doug. Brand Doug is circulating. Very good. Uh, <laughs> all right <laughs> cheers it's been good it's been good to talk uh and that's yeah. it for now catch you later bye-bye all right bye-bye